Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hey there. How's it going, eh? This is what you've been playing Wednesday. And it's a special weekly episode that's a compilation of our thoughts on recently played board games. And you know what? This episode's contributors are Shay and David from Board on the Air, Chad from Of Dice and Men, Ryan and Norm from uh, Cardboard Conjecture, The Cardboard Kid, Rob and Anna Marie from Metal Meeples and Beer, Matt and John from Friday Night Games, and Jason and Julie from Dice and Dragons. I'm Jason. I'm Julie. And we are Dyson Dragon. Julie, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find us? They can find us on YouTube at Dyson Dragons, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yes, all at the same pl- same place. What we do, reviews, playthroughs, how to plays, some of that all combined into one video. Don't worry, it's time stamped. We also have top 10 lists and possibly even some discussion topics coming this year. We'll see. We'll see what the viewers like. All right, so how was our week in gaming? Why don't you start? You usually start on our... On our channel? Yeah. It was a disappointment and a letdown, I have to say, for a couple different reasons. So Um, what did we play? I mean, people want to know what we played. So I want to get... One of the reasons it was a disappointment is this is the holiday week, uh, and normally we get quite a bit of gaming in. Uh, Now, this is our first year with a baby, uh, and he takes up a lot of our time. It's also a pandemic year, so we didn't get much. Uh, we didn't get people to be able to come in, right? Yeah. So we had no support. We were. It was just us and the baby, which was a lot of fun. But uh, when Let- you're trying to play your minis and you've got a, an extra hand, it can be challenging. So it limited the amount of gaming we were able to do, contrary to previous years. I'd also say the other disappointment was the games we played. Now, uh, we have one review out there we can talk about a little bit more. Uh, Aliens. Yeah. So we played Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core. You can find the review on our channel. And this one was disappointing for a few reasons. Well, the assembly required part did not go over well with me. The Marines were fine. I really did not enjoy, enjoy assembling the alien miniatures. Now, some people might find that those minis have higher quality than other games. I didn't think so. I don't think so as well. So that extra time was just time that could have been spent playing the game. Maybe not necessarily a full game because of our little guy, but we could have at least gotten, you know, a few more plays, which would have been nice. Now, the other thing I would say is that we talked about it in our review, but I want to add something that I think we both discussed after our review came out. The game is basically Zombicide. No, it's not even as good as Zombicide. Yes, but the core of it is Zombicide. It's six characters fighting off an onslaught, trying to complete objectives. It does have some cool stuff, though. So for we do have the aim mechanic as well as the endurance deck, which is very cool. 
Like yeah. I did like that stuff and the ability of defensive yeah, fire. Yeah, but it's it's but... not zombicide. At least for me, it it didn't even come close to zombicide. And I think somebody mentioned in one of the comments that it was, uh, it was Cthulhu uh, death may die, and I disagree. It's nowhere near as good as Cthulhu. So well, I, I, I actually we saw in some other people's videos people talking about is this better than Cthulhu? There was a guy out there that was a, is obsessed with that game. I have to say. Aliens, Cthulhu, Death May Die. I'm picking Death May Die any day of the week. Yep. Now, it is highly thematic. If you are a big fan of the films, I think you're going to get a bigger kick out of the game than we did here. The game isn't bad or unplayable. The rule book's a little bit of a mess, but it was just it's a, Gale Force 9. It was a disappointment, that's all. Yeah. Now, the other game that we got to the table this week, um, I've been looking forward to. And it was supposed to be your Christmas present, but it ended up being a New Year's Eve arrival. So it just made it into 2020. And now it gets to be our first game played in 2021. Yeah, so I think we won't talk about it too much because our review is going to be coming out a little bit later this week and it will come out after this this podcast. Yeah. So Our reviews are released regularly on Thursday. Sometimes it is a top 10 video. So yeah, you can expect this coming on Thursday. So that being said, uh, the positives, it came quickly. Yes, it is beautiful art. This is the Umbrella Academy game. It does use art from the comic book artist. It's got nice production values. This was back in September. It arrived in December. Great turnaround time. I would say that the production values for in terms of the cardstock feels really nice. We did get the deluxe version of the game. The board is a little wonky, doesn't quite lay flat, but it seems to be getting better over time. And the tokens that are in the game, they're solid. I just wish I knew what to do with them because we have this deluxe version and the tokens are nowhere in the rulebook. And yeah, I think that's all... I really want to say about this game we did get our brand new gaming table that arrived yes that's right and and it did not make it to the to this table yes and uh if you want a little bit of a preview as to what our review is going to be like i'm very happy that the umbrella academy game was not the game to christen this table yeah so needless to say we we said that our week is a disappointment for more info you can check into the review a little yeah, bit Yeah, you can check into the review. So that was our week in gaming. Aliens, another glorious day in the core. Our biggest event of our This Week in Gaming was our custom board game table. Yes, we got our brand new custom gaming table produced by Wheatland Woodwork. So this is a Canadian podcast. All the content creators here are Canadian. He's out of Calgary. We absolutely love it. I mean, he burned our logo into the table. That was... One of the things that we wanted. It still smells like amazing burnt wood. You thought I was weird for sniffing the table. He, he sniffed the tables. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he got down on his hands and knees and he sniffed the table. I was literally picking something up off the floor and I was like, what was that smell? Because it actually smells quite nice in this room right now. So So that's our weekend gaming. Yeah, I think that sums up, summarizes everything. Nowhere to go but up. Yes, nowhere to go but up. <laughs> So that's uh, the beginning of 2021 for us. I'm Jason. I'm Julie. And we are Dyson Dragons. Don't forget that you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We got all the social media feeds covered. And hopefully you'll enjoy the Umbrella Academy game review. Maybe more than uh, the actual game. And then until then, keep playing games. Keep playing games.
I'm the Cardboard Kid. If you don't know me, I'm almost 11 years old, and I've been reviewing games on YouTube since April 2017. So far, I have over 265 reviews and dozens of interviews and features. I've had some extra time off for the holiday break, which helped me not only get a few more scripts and videos done, but we hit our 600 track play of 2020 just before midnight. I thought I'd talk a little about some of the games I played to end last year and those that I've played so far this year. Disney Villainous Perfectly Wretched has two to three villains playing and manipulating to foil each other's plans and fulfill their own. We first played it at Dice Tower West last March, which seems like a million years ago. I won with Cruella DeVille and looked forward to trying the other two included characters. At the time, I'd only played Evil Comes Prepared. Now that I've spent more time with all of the expandalones, Perfectly Wretched still ranks at the top for me, and Wicked to the Core is second. Don't get me wrong, I like Evil Comes Prepared, but something has to be at the bottom, right? I love Chronicles of Crime. The base game and noir expansion are in my top 10. Redview is fine. I blasted through all three of those and the DLC a long time ago, but we played the newest scenario, It Can Happen on Christmas. The latest expansion, 1400, arrived in mid-December, so we went through those last week. I can't wait for 1900 and 2400. On Saturday, I played three new games, Forbidden Island Online with my good friends Anna Maria and Benita, formerly of Girls Game Shelf. At first, we were so confident that we spent more thought on our Star Wars chat and on food than what was happening. I think that's why things went downhill in the blink of an eye. We lost almost all of our tiles quickly. I sunk once, and we were stranded waiting for a fire ruby. It never came, and we lost. Me and my parents then played Cryptid, which is fun, but I didn't enjoy it as much as the search for Planet X. Cryptid felt too dependent on others. In Planet X, if you make a mistake, you did it to yourself. I normally love interaction in games, but there's something about Planet X's puzzle that works so well. In the evening, we played Rococo. I love that period of France, and I love Ian O'Toole's art and graphic design, and I love pretty much all the mechanisms in the game, so you'd think I love this too, right? Well, yeah, I did. It was only my first game, and we didn't play with any of the extras, but I'm very excited to try it again. On Sunday, we played our weekly RPG session that has been going on since November 27, 2016, at least according to my dad's notes. It's been all D&D up until about a month ago when dad introduced us to Call of Cthulhu. He ran a solo game for our friend Ariel, our dungeon master, and is now running a game for me, mom, Ariel, and another friend, Norm. Because we're at a story break in COC, we jumped to D&D for a bit, but we'll be going back to COC soon. I love RPGs. I've run a few of my own, Magical Kitty Saved the Day and No Thank You Evil. We ended Sunday with our first play of Venom Assault, which is pretty much G.I. Joe the deck building game. It's very similar to Legendary, Marvel, Alien, and so on, but has a cool combat system and some neat little tweaks that I'll definitely miss when playing Legendary. That's about all for now. If you want to see photos and updates on what I'm playing, follow me on Twitter at Cardboard underscore Kit. For weekly reviews, check out my YouTube channel, The Cardboard Kit. Happy New Year, everyone. Please stay safe. Happy gaming.
David. And I'm Shay. And we are Board on the Air. We are a weekly radio show on CFCR in Saskatoon. And you can also find us on all of your favorite podcast sites under Board on the Air, B-O-A-R-D. We are doing a segment for What You've Been Playing, or as I like to call it, What Have You Been Playing, because I'm very proper. You're really not. Well, we could be. We try. We try you to try, be proper. You try, maybe. I try to be proper. Shay just tries to fit in. Yeah. Okay, we, we've been playing is Coloma. This is a worker placement deck building game from Johnny Pack and Final Frontier Games. It's a Western style, yeah, right? It's... Like, imagine a Western movie, and that's basically what it is in board game form. Yeah, you're set in the gold rush of California. Hmm. It takes place over three years. Each year has five turns, and on those turns, you're going to take one of five actions. You're either going to do your shovel action, which is get resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to build a, or, or, build a river or bridge. Yep. Or you're going to build a card, which is a building. Yep. Uh, you're going to travel on the map. Or you're going to put out tents that are going to give you bonus actions or guys that are going to go to the shootout. Yes. Uh, each year, the shootout gets tougher. There's more bad guys. And every time you take one of the bonus barrels, you get extra bad guys. Yeah. Uh, you actually missed one action. What action? There's the Barker action. There is the Barker action, which allows you to buy tents and buy horses. Yeah. So I don't know if, if you mentioned it. Uh, it is a rondel motion, I'd say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a spinning wheel. There's a spinning wheel, which is super cool because it's magnetic and yeah. you don't have to... It just works really, really well. Yeah. Like whoever and designed this should design it for every game that it, needs this. The magnet thing. is the best kind. Um, the reason I bring it up is because that's where your actions are, and the Barker will cover one of those actions. So really, every turn you can do five actions, one of them will get covered up. Um, and then there's a secondary action as well, on the inside, that you may or may not get to use, depending on where the majority of people are. Yeah, the boom action is uh, decided on on the amount of people that go to a space, the, the space that has the most people that went to it, their boom action gets cancelled. And the other people get to do their boom action. Uh, this is a very cool game. Mm-hmm. Uh, production value is great. It was Kickstarter. We just got the retail version, and even that is very solid. I'm uh, missing some of the cool gold pieces and a couple more wooden pieces, but we can always upgrade those. Yeah, those can be upgraded at any time. Uh, so production value is good. Uh, I think the mechanic of the uh, hidden or uh, simultaneous action selection where nobody knows where you're going and you're all reveal at the same time i think that works super well mm-hmm. yeah because you have this little spinner thing in front of you and table talk is actually allowed so if you want you could try and throw people off of where you're going for sure this is for two to six people mm-hmm. uh and i believe there's a solo mode as well uh i've i've played it at three and four and I thought that at four, it got way more cutthroat. Yes, absolutely. At I, six, I, it would be insane. I couldn't even imagine at six what it would be like. Uh, I think the length is about, you know, 60 to 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think if you did six players, you'd be pushing two hours. Yeah, and plus, the teach isn't super long on it, but there is quite a few things to run through. So that adds a little bit of time to the first game, at least. Yeah, I found the, the first teach was a little bit of a struggle. Uh, the second teach, I thought, 
was a lot easier after we had all played it once. Yeah. And their helper sheets are very useful. They do provide enough one for each player, which is nice. Uh, And they do explain everything on it. Yeah, the cheat sheet is very good on this. Uh, As per, you know, change, variability, replayability, you know, every time we've played, I've tried a different strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been lucky enough to win one of three and lost by one point the third time. Uh, second game, I don't want to speak of because I got <laughs> rolled hard. Yeah, I uh, I haven't done well in this game yet, actually. I've played it twice in both. The first game was okay. The second game I did pretty poorly at. Um, I don't. I just don't think I figured out a strategy quite yet. Yeah, it's there's a lot of different things you can do in this game. And it's sort of... I, I would say it benefits you to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you do need a main focus for the most part. Uh, because there's multiple ways, there's three or four different ways to score points. You have to do two of them fairly well, but you also have to dabble in the other ones or else it can hurt you. Absolutely. Uh, in regards to stuff I didn't enjoy as much with the game, I'd say the fact that if you can't take an action, like if you go on an action and somebody's blocked it off or blocked off where you were going to go, such as in the shootout, um, it is a little annoying that there's nothing that you can do. Like, you literally have no action that turn. Yeah, you can uh, you can get locked down if everybody goes to the same action at the same time. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I think, like, it's pretty good. The rule book's really good. Uh, the shootout is a neat feature because that's where you can kill guys and get more points. Yep. Uh, and coins and stuff like that. Yeah, there's lots of the bridges that are endgame scoring, so yep. it gives you some variability as which ones that come out each time. And the rivers give you bonuses, which you have to play the rivers before you play the the bridges, bridges but they give you bonus points. Uh, there's some asymmetric powers with character cards and second sides of the year player boards. We haven't used those yet, but uh, next time we play is our goal is to play with those yeah. because I think it's going to add to the game and add a little bit more... Yeah, the basic one's good for learning, and I'd yep. say after that I want to try with the special ones. Yeah, uh, so that's what we've been playing. Uh, I'm a big fan of this one, looking to get this to the table quite frequently. Yep. Thank you. We are Bored on the Air. Once more, you can find us on CFCR in Saskatoon every Thursday night. And all podcast sites, as well as Facebook and Instagram. Search Bored on the Air, B-O-A-R-D. And that's what we've been playing. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, Chad here from Of Dice and Men, a bi-weekly-ish podcast and newly created Twitch stream where we talk about board games, the people who play them, and the culture surrounding the hobby. This time around, I wanted to focus on two of the bigger games I've played this week, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion and Mega City Oceana. Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion came out in the middle of 2020 from Cephalo Fair Games, I always mispronounce that, and is meant to answer the problem of, I want to play Gloomhaven, but don't have the time or energy for a 140-hour campaign. Jaws of the Lion approaches this primarily by providing a much more compact campaign centered around the town of Gloomhaven, over 25 scenarios opposed to the original game's 100, and four specific characters versus Gloomhaven 16. Outside of those two major changes, the experience is mostly the same. It's still a dungeon crawl based around the careful management of ability cards to achieve specific goals. 
Some of the quality of life improvements that they've added to the game have certainly reduced the barrier to entry, which is clearly the goal of this standalone expansion. The first five scenarios of the game ease players into the system by slowly introducing the concepts of the game. You initially start with a curated set of cards against a few low-key enemies, and eventually end up dealing with battle objectives and character leveling. In addition, they've completely removed the concept of map tiles from the game, which is easily one of the most annoying parts of scenario setup, instead taking a page from Plaid Hat's adventure book games and incorporating the map directly into the pages of the scenario book, with an extra supplemental book for those maps that might need a bit more extra space. Jaws of the Line still keeps all the things I love about Gloomhaven. Character leveling gets you your choice of ability cards to add to your repertoire. Each character has their own modifier deck that gets modified with perks earned through battle. And player initiative interweaves with monster AI cards to create a fun and tactical experience. They even kept the map stickers. When it comes down to the meat and potatoes of the experience, Jaws of the Line is right on par with the original Gloomhaven, but with a twist. This isn't just a remixed version of the original, it has four new classes, previously unseen, as well as all new missions that can be played in a complete package or as an expansion to the main campaign. The one major thing that's been removed that I find myself missing is the character retirement goals, although they're missing for good reason. In the original, each player can pick one of the six starting classes, but with their choice comes their character's motivation, the thing that they're trying to achieve during their time in Gloomhaven. Whether it's exploring different regions or killing specific types of monsters, players are giving an overarching goal to work towards in order to unlock the other 10 character classes, swapping to a new class just when you start to max out and possibly get sick of the character you started with. Jaws of the Lion doesn't have retirement goals or extra characters, but given the smaller campaign size, I'm not entirely sure that they could fit it in even if they wanted to. Character retirement is a pretty big part of my group's Gloomhaven campaign, often the main factor that decides where the next scenario we play is when we meet on our semi-regular basis. But with 25 scenarios available, I doubt there's going to be a lot of side questing or options for branching narrative, so needing a push in a certain direction is likely less of a concern. Another lesser concern of mine is that they didn't seem to do anything to improve the monster stat AI cards, although to be honest, I'm not sure what they could do. The system you use to determine monster initiative and to keep track of their health and status works perfectly fine, except for the fact that it takes up about half of your play area and is a little fiddly. But it's still miles ahead of most other AI systems I've seen in Dungeon Crawls. I imagine Cephalofair Games has some sort of design goal in mind to keep Gloomhaven non-digital, but luckily there's quite a few well-done applications that allow you to take all those monster aspects online. My group's favorite is the Gloomhaven Helper app, which allows you to enter and track your own initiative, health, status, elements, and more across multiple devices, and to my pleasure, they've already got the Jaws of the Line scenarios available in the app. Despite my first play on the stream going terribly wrong when I played at a higher difficulty than I should have, I'm looking forward to playing through Gloomhaven Jaws of the Line as a side fix of Gloomhaven goodness while my main group continues with the main campaign, and of course while waiting for Frosthaven to arrive. The second new game I got to the table this week was Mega City Oceana, which has been on my wishlist for quite some time, since I first saw it demoed back at Gen Con back in 2019, which feels like so long ago. Mega City dubs itself as a strategic dexterity game where players act as competing architects to build the world's first floating megacity of the future. A number of public building contracts are made available at the beginning of the game, and players take turns claiming contracts, gathering materials, gaining platforms, and ultimately delivering superstructures that meet the contract requirements. Unfortunately, I didn't enjoy Megacity as much as I had hoped. 
I found the game to be mostly a multiplayer solitaire experience, the only player interaction coming from drafting contracts and platforms before other players get a chance to. And in the latter case, the platforms are so abundant you can't really prevent others from getting what they want anyway. The game has you building your structures between your turns in an effort to offset the potential problem of everyone at the table sitting and staring at you while you attempt to assemble a seven oddly shaped pieces into the required structure. But the turns themselves are so quick, most of them are just actions drafting from a limited set of options, that you inevitably end up in a state where everyone is just staring at their own hexes, fiddling with their plastic components. The contracts themselves specify a few interesting requirements, such as having a courtyard or atrium as part of your structure, as well as a set amount of materials and a minimum height, forcing your hand to make those taller, teetering structures. And the platforms have placement requirements of their own, making the build slightly more challenging than a simple see-how-high-you-can-stack contest. Once you're satisfied with your construction and want to score your building, the only action you can do on your turn is deliver which requires you to slide the platform hosting your completed building to the central city, and that can be the frustrating part. If during your delivery of your building any component of your building falls, you have to take it back with you and you lose your turn. That lost turn compounds the frustration that your beautifully designed structure just collapsed after you spent a few minutes of intense concentration constructing it, and it feels like such a negative experience when it comes to playing the game. Mega City is going in my trade pile, and it will join its brother, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr, which is another Hub Games production, which is unfortunate. Both of those games approach narrative stories that really intrigued me, and I really wanted to like them, but when it came down to it, the gameplay just didn't deliver personally. That said, I'm glad to get two more games off my pile of opportunity, and just in time for the January Canadian math trade to start up. Definitely check that out if you've got a few games kicking around you'd like to trade out of your collection. Trust me, it's easier than it looks. If you need any math trade tips or you want to see what we've been up to, you can find us on Twitter at of underscore dice underscore and underscore men. Thank you, Ryan, for that. And from there, you should be able to find our podcast and Twitch stream as well. Our podcast is bi-weekly-ish, and we've got three years of backlog you can catch up on. And we stream on Twitch Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon, and Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday at 9 p.m. CST. See you there, and have a happy new year. Hello folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us at BC Board Gamers. This week I would like to highlight a game that we have been playing a lot of lately, which is Rococo, which has recently, recently been re-released by Eagle Griffin Games as a big box deluxe edition with brand new art by Ian O'Toole. Rococo was originally released in 2013, designed by Matthias Kramer, Stefan and Louise Malls, and published by Spiel and Eagle Griffin Games, with original art by Michael Menzel. Since its release, it's become out of print and has been highly sought after on what I would like to call the board game black market. Rococo is a clever Euro game that incorporates resource management, deck building, I guess, and area majority where you are the head of a garment making business, tailoring dresses, dresses and outfits for one of Louis XV's lavish balls. At your disposal, you have employees um, represented by cards that will do one of many actions for you uh, over the course of one game. Uh, be careful though, because some employees are required for an action over others. Um, for example, apprentices 
um, they can really only gather you fabrics and resources or pay for fancy decorations for you. Um, where the journeymen, they can do everything that those apprentices can do, but they can also be, uh, they can also be hired to tailor garments and gain the queen's favor. Um, the queen's favor being that you claim the first player. Um, masters, um, they can do everything that apprentices and journeymen can do, while also they can, are the only cards that you can play um, where you're able to recruit more employees into your deck. Um, some other actions, though, also require you to have a master if you want to have some more illustrious rewards. Uh, the game is played over seven rounds, and over the course of the game, you will want to score prestige by, you know, tailoring these garments and placing them one into one of the five ballrooms that are there. Um, at the end of the game, you're going to score bonus prestige if you have a majority in these ballrooms. Um, that's where the area majority thing comes in. Uh, ties being broken by if you've tailored garments by masters or if you've hung up some fancy decorations. One cool aspect is that at the end of the game, if you've funded these decorations, you put up these decorations on the balcony, there's the top part of the board, it's the balcony, um, you can send some of your patrons to score extra points on their garments based on some multipliers that those uh, decorations will have. My wife and I have been playing this two-player only and have enjoyed it actually quite a bit. It works as a two-player game. Is what a lot of people always ask about these Euro games, does it play good at two-player? I think we play this one does play very well. But like all other area majority type of games, it's really going to shine if you have more players. I think like the, the, the four-player is going to be a real sweet spot for this one. One thing we enjoy about this Euro is that the setup time is actually not that much. In this deluxe edition, all the components have these little baggies and component trays that you can put things into. So the setup time is actually very very minimal um, for the sheer number of components that are included yeah it, it, it's not a big deal this deluxe edition is absolutely stunning to look at and the components created are top-notch with gorgeous artwork on the cards little resin resources for the lace and yarn resources eno2 artwork is very beautiful uh, but many may have preferred the original Michael Menzel art. I am one of those people in the minority here where I think the Michael Menzel art is absolutely stunning and I wish they kind of tried, would have tried to incorporate that into there here as well. Deluxe Edition also includes the hard-to-find jewelry box expansion and, and some other little mini expansions. Now, we haven't played with those yet, but I think we're at the point where now we want to incorporate those expansion content because after about a handful of games playing this two-player, um, we can already feel the game feeling, what do you call quote-unquote, samey. Um, and that's just because the employee cards, there's only one deck of cards and there's no variety. You're going to see the same cards over and over again. They just might come out in a slightly different order every game. But you know what's coming up after a while. Something else we got to the table this past weekend were a couple of the Exit the Game games. Uh, we got the Enchanted Forest and the Cemetery of the Night. Now, Exit the Game is one of my favorite escape room type games in a box. Um, and I, I, I love them because I always find the puzzles are challenging yet satisfying, um, leaving us with very clever moments along the way. Uh, we haven't been able to share our love of these Exit Games with some of our friends as of late, um, so we got creative. Uh, another couple that we play games with quite regularly also acquired these two Exit Games for Christmas. So we decided to play the games together via video call. It was actually a lot of fun to solve the puzzles together for once again. Because um, they were literally sitting, quote unquote, at our table with us. 
And so it wasn't very constricting because we were literally playing the game with two copies of the game at the same time, which actually worked out very well. Um, I would I would totally totally uh, recommend giving that a try if you want to you know ex uh, explore these escape games um, with other people at the table. Just make sure that everybody has the same copy. Well, that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. Um, you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BC Board Gamers to kind of follow what we've been up to lately. All right, I'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're Friday Night Games. So you can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and on our website at FridayNight.Games. Night has a K in it, by the way. And we're here to talk about what we played this week, what we loved about the game, hate about the game, and why we definitely played the game wrong. Why would we admit uh, why we played the game wrong? One, we always play games wrong. Oh, yeah. And two, a lot of little uh, flavor. What's going on here? <laughs> a little spice. A little spice it up. A little spice. Hey, did you see what I did there? Yeah. It's themed. Speaking of spice, this next game <laughs> is my favorite game of 2020. We're going to be talking about Dune Imperium, uh, designed by Paul Denon and published by Dire Wolf Games. Nice. <laughs> so this game is based off a new movie that uh, we think will be coming out this year. We're not completely sure. Um, but you could probably read the book sooner than when it comes <laughs> out. That's for sure. For sure. Um, it is a deck building and worker placement game. And during your turn, you have two to three agents, and you can play cards in your hand, which you play to the board, which give you resources, bonuses on other spots. They do a lot of things. There's a lot of things going on. You play a worker, and things happen. <laughs> and as you build your deck, uh, your worker uh, placement gives you extra abilities. And as you progress through specific parts of the board, you gain points at milestones, and these points are basically what you're trying to strive for to win the game. First person to hit 10 ends that game. And most points win. Right. Yeah. So, Matt, what would you love about the game? Man, okay, well, there's there's a lot to say. First of all, it's a very complex game, so it's hard to just kind of describe it in that one minute that we just did, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I love deck builders, and I kind of enjoy worker placements, but I really like deck building more, and this game really feels like a 70% deck builder to a 30% worker placement. And the worker placement is all about getting that deck built. You know, it's clever, it's fast once you understand how to play. You know, our first time playing was an hour and a half. When we did the stream, it was an hour and a half, but we're also explaining on it, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot going on, so there's like a million sections to the board. Not a million, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight or nine sections. And those are what you play to to do different things. And they kind of all, you know, help each other get better. Um, I love how the different factions, there's four factions, which correspond to uh, cards you can buy. Um, they improve your deck. Hint, hint, that's a strategy. You want to go after a certain faction to improve your deck to kind of go up one of those factions to get even more powerful, maybe two factions. But, man, it, it's such a cool little theme going on there that I love. I can see why this game is on the top of a lot of people's lists, including Dice Tower. And I'm sad that uh, we played it after we recorded our top games of 2020. <laughs> true, true. Because it would probably have made that list. Yeah, it definitely would have. 
Um, what I love about it is just the strategy of having to manage your hand to do both building your deck and placing your agents to gain resources. It really makes you think about what you do to make your turn the best it could be. And really just like looking at it, being like, oh, what cards am I going to play so I can buy better cards um, in the market or whatever. And uh, it's just it was just fun to beat you tonight, too. <laughs> you just you just like the games where you beat me at, eh? I told you. Is told that you I would. Is that why this is like a 2020 uh, <laughs> top? You beat me at it, so therefore... What about that first game, though? I beat you at that first game. It's true. It, it was is. very close, though. It was. That was actually one of the cool things I liked <clears throat> about our first game was how close it was to us. Like, it was just like, it was 10-10, and I beat you in resources. Right. Or 12-12 and beat you in resources. But it was still like an amazing way to end the game. And it, so it doesn't really hit that runaway leader problem where someone can have like a million points. Right. Even tonight, you're up by four. I still didn't feel like it was out of reach. I feel like I played it wrong, but I didn't feel like it was out of reach. Speaking of playing it wrong. <laughs> How do we play it wrong? Wow, that was a really good segue. <laughs> that was unplanned too. <laughs> so I know when we when we first played the game together, uh, we didn't take the agent turn correctly. So you're supposed to play like one player at a time. You place a worker on the board. Uh, we were playing like doing all of our turns um, at once. Yeah, I think that's just. I don't know if that really affected the game though. All too uh, much. It affected more of the AI play of it. Oh right, right. because. Yeah, because you want you want the AI to kind of cover up spots, right? And also, we yeah we played both their turns at once too, which kind of stops, uh, you know, the rotating of turns. You know, the first player gets to choose that location they really want to go to. So, right. Yeah, I mean, hey, we screw up everything all the time. So yeah, and then we also didn't play the AI correctly either. So well, what we didn't? No. <laughs> How do we not? What? what uh, do you mean? Well, they so they're supposed to copy whatever the first player. Uh, was doing so if the first player had three agents they would play with three agents oh. and if you know if you had your three agents i had my two and i became first player they would only play with two agents we we kind of like thought that, so. that though because when we were playing the game you said that you're like oh yeah he gets a third agent but you couldn't remember how that's one of the problems when we do like a friday night thing it's like sometimes you're like oh i don't remember this rule right and we just kind of like house rule it up right to just kind of get it going I think at one point, didn't we give him a third agent? We're like... No, we didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, so, but he was still kind of kicking our butt a little bit, though. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, everyone talks about why they love the game or how we played it wrong. You know, what what didn't we like about this game? Um, I love this game. <laughs> no, no but what... There was little to not like. The other thing I, maybe I like? really I didn't like about it was I'm not a rules person. Okay but I really wanted to bring this game to you. So I sat and like read the rules. I played the game solo. It was just like a lot to take in my first playthrough. Yeah. I guess pro tip for that, you know, you just play a bunch of solo games and eventually you start questioning what you're doing. Right. Cause obviously you're like, Oh, this doesn't make any sense. And then that kind of makes you better. Um, what I hate about the game is, you know, I actually hate sand levels in all <laughs> video games. <laughs> they annoy me. And you know, have you ever played super Mario brothers too? I have, yes. Or Super Mario Brothers 3, I guess, and like level 2 in there is like, what were those things? I think it was like a Cactus Man. Sure. You don't yeah. know what I'm talking about? I was like 4 when that game came out. Or the Sun? <laughs> or the Sun who's like... Or the Sun trying to kill you, yeah. Oh, man, that's like right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't go inside, we so... Don't go inside. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, there's nothing I... Uh, I don't like about this game. It's actually pretty good, and I can see why it's on the top of my list. Is it on the top of my list? I don't know. That's that's. 
I, don't, I can't. So I need to play it a little more. That's true. But it is very good. I can tell you that. And it's worth purchasing if you like deck building and you like a little bit of worker placement mixed in. All right. Well, that's uh, Dune Imperium. And uh, we are Matt and John from Friday Night Games. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS. And uh, we do Twitch streaming too on Mondays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, twitch.tv slash Friday Night GMS. Hello, everybody. This is Rob from Metal Meeples and Beer. I'm joined today with my wife, Anna Marie. Hello, everyone. Um, she's just as crazy of a board gamer as I am, and uh, we're happy to be recording this uh, little snippet for you uh for the what you've been playing wednesday's podcast so we're gonna be talking about a couple games we've been playing lately and i'm gonna kick it off here with uh the first one uh that we've been playing a lot has been uh from simon games a kickstarter that came out in 2020 uh marvel united um it is designed by eric lang and andrea Chiarvezio, i believe her name is um and it's from simon and spin masters four player uh one to four player game um so the simple side of this game is that it is a simple game. It's, um, it's family-friendly, uh, simple to, to teach, simple to learn. Um, it, it's, it's a very thematic game in, in that you are a couple different uh, Marvel heroes fighting a bad guy. So, Anna-Marie, what else can you say about this game? Uh, when you you said it was a family game, and I completely agree. I have uh, our, our oldest son. He um, he loves to analyze things, so he's always you know ready with suggestions <laughs> for what heroes should do what to to battle the villain. And he tells us you know the reasoning behind it. It brings good conversation to the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our youngest son, he uh, hates losing, he so he really likes co op games. So for him, it's nice because he gets to not feel that added pressure on this one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I believe it. It's um, it scratches a lot of the same itches as one of our other favorite games, uh, uh, Marvel Champions, um, where this is more of a family friendly, a little more streamlined, dumbed down, simpler uh, game to play, but still scratches those itches about you know getting your Marvel hero gang together and coming together to fight a a bad guy. Um, I really, really enjoyed the the storyline mechanic, if you will, of the circle of cards that. Uh, literally circles around the, the board um, and uh, having whatever card I play uh, affect what the the next character is, is playing and so forth. I just really enjoyed the game. It, it uh, I was originally going to go all in on the Kickstarter, but I backed out and we were able to get a copy of the, the retail here. So pretty happy we were able to do that. Is there anything else you can think of of this game? That one's just fun to play. It's yeah. just having, you know, the Marvel theme and having the kids be able to play it. It was nice. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's uh, it's a fantastic game for families, um, and our youngest boy, six years old, uh, can really get into it as well. And our eight year old can really actually play the game uh, quite well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a, a a big part of our collection moving forward, I believe, uh, especially for the next few years. Um, and the second game we want to talk about was uh, one I believe you got for Christmas called Dice Forge. I did from. Le Bellu Games, I believe, is uh, how you pronounce that. I think it's French. And uh, the designer was uh, Regis Bonassi. 
Uh, what else can you tell us about this game? I really, uh, the things that I liked about this game the most is it's very quick. It's, it's mm-hmm. nine rounds, but those nine rounds happen so fast. Uh, you go, you roll the dice, you pick what you're going to do. Everybody yeah. gets to roll dice on, on everybody's turn. So you're doing something even when it's not your turn. <laughs> so it keeps you engaged. Um, and the mechanic of the dice, actually having, you know, you have um, the die faces pop off when you upgrade your die. And they've made a great little way to, to change it so you're not getting frustrated with that, which is very cool. There are lots of different strategies. You know, do I go heavy on the dice? Do I go heavy on the cards? Do I balance it? Um, it just, your variability is really good. It's, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that part of it as well. I love the fact that, um, yeah, they're one of the pioneers uh, out there of actually manipulating uh, the different faces on your dice. Um, I love that part of the game, and I mean, that's the driving force behind this game. Um, I hadn't seen that before and, and love that part of it. I love the uh, the way the dice are actually put together. I thought at first when I put them, when I was trying to change the faces off, I didn't understand like how I was supposed to get these things off, but then it turns out that the face of the next, uh, or the next face that you bought, actually you can turn it around and use the corner to pick out the... Uh, the, the side of the, the face that you want to replace. So they come in and off of those dice really quickly and easily. And, uh, yeah, it, like you said, it, I like that you can either um, go heavy on on uh, changing your dice up and, and editing them and making them stronger and better, or if you go to get the cards and collect the cards, trying to get the victory points that way. Um, yeah, I just I didn't know much about this game going into it, and um, it, it was relatively quick too, right? It was... Um, about 45 minutes or so, or half an hour, depending. Yeah, I'd say after a couple of games, yeah. it was like half an hour. Yeah, yeah. It was really quick. And, um, yeah, it was one that you could just uh, play out and, uh, you know, do two or three sessions uh, in an evening after dinner or something like that and and have a good time with it. And, yeah, it was good for our kids as well, I believe. Both, both uh, boys um, were definitely into it. The little guy was... Uh, you know, needed a bit of help, but Logan, our, young, our, our oldest, was eight years old, and he can really uh, uh, get behind this game, and, and he knows, you know, when to edit his dice and when not to, and, and things like that. So yeah, I think this is another solid uh, family game, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to getting that expansion, because a lot of people on Twitter were telling me that the expansion really improves the game, so we're going to get a hold of that as well. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is a really quick, um, little snippet here. We had between five and seven minutes and I see we're just over six minutes here already. The time has flown by. Um, but again, we're, we're thrilled to be part of this podcast moving forward, the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll just sign off here and you can get to the next, uh, the next people here. So this has been Rob and Anna Marie from Metal Meeples and Beer. Um, you can get us at Twitter at, at Metal Meeple Beer and on YouTube for our uh, reviews and unboxings and how-to videos and, and things like that. So uh, that's it. Thanks again, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. See ya. Hi, this is Norm from Bridge City Board Gamers and Cardboard Conjecture. And uh, I'd like to talk to you about, hopefully I can get two games in. If not, I want to make sure I talk about Calico. Uh, this is designed by Kevin Russ and published by Flatout Games. 
And uh, this is uh, an, uh, the arts by Beth Sobel. It's gorgeous. Okay, um, but basically the gist of this game, it's an abstract pattern building game uh, where you're drafting tiles. And uh, so, so how it works is you have a, a recess tableau in front of you, and the 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 border of it, the fringe, the outside frame of it, is the already started hexagonal. Um, pattern of a quilted blanket that you have to build in front of you. Now, each game you have uh, three different scoring tiles that you place in a particular uh, um, uh, spots on your tableau, your your quilt tableau. And uh, depending on the game, that's the cool variability of it, but depending on the game, uh, you take these tiles. Now, the tiles, the cool thing about the tiles is um, that it's not, they're multi-dimensional tiles. One dimension is the color, uh, the color selection, and you have six different colors. And the other um, dimension is the pattern. There's six different patterns, which is uh, very cool in, the, in, in how these scoring tiles can configure themselves. Because some uh, around these scoring tiles, you want to have the quilted patterns that represent, like let's say you have a scoring tile that says, I want two A types, two B types, and two C types that surround this scoring tile. Now, um, there's all these different kind of configurations uh, of scoring patterns that you can have on your board. And what you do is there's a little market, like every, you know, great kind of like a, a, um, a, a tile game, is uh, you have the, the, to negate that randomness, you can select from a market. Now, that is the great part and the painful part because uh, um, as, the tar as the market gets refreshed, and from my knowing a solo game, uh, I think which represents uh, if there's multiplayers that are coming at this market, that it that moves quick. So if there's a tile that you need that you can't get, depending on the strategy that you're going, um, it, this market can cycle fast. Now, another idea in this game, too, is the button system. If you can connect a certain amount of colors, group them together, you can sew on a bonus button. Okay, um, and now the bonus button, uh, as we go, I haven't even talked about points yet, but as the bonus button goes, uh, that contributes to your point value. Now, here's the cool part about the game, and the variability is insane on this game, is that you have three different cats, because the ultimate objective is you want to build such a gorgeous quilt that the cats want to come and have a nap on it and make little kitty biscuits and then do a little cinnamon bun and, and curl up and have a snooze. Right. So each cat represents um, two uh, two ways that you can uh, um, uh, attract these cats or uh, generate the pattern. So there's three levels, obviously, uh, easy, uh, medium and a, and a difficult pattern to achieve. And uh, if you can uh, then the patterns are, you know, three of the same color or three of the same uh, um, uh pattern right there's there's with those configurations of the two dimensions of tiles you can generate these these uh point objective uh, uh goals and attribute points to them so let's say i i i make a uh, a uh, connected uh pattern of uh, same pattern of four i i immediately take the cat that represents this scoring tile and put it on my uh, quilt once everything's filled up, the game ends and you do your scoring. And uh, this game is so much fun. It reminds me of the same simply 
like a simple system with a complex uh, uh, a way to approach the game. Um, very much like Arboretum, right? Uh, Arboretum, for those who know, a uh, very simple game, very simple system, very simple pattern puzzle that you're trying to build. But the pain in the selection and how you're going to approach it, uh, I think, is very, very brilliant. So that's Calico. Uh, I highly, highly recommend this game. Uh, Flat Out Games, uh, designed, like I said, by Kevin Russ and art by Beth Sobel. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt to get a second game in here. Uh, I'm going to cut myself short, and I'm going to say thank you. Uh, I'm, uh, I am Norm from uh, Bridge City Board Gamers and Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And take care and stay safe. Well, uh, there you go. We made it to the end of the episode. A uh, uh, very special weekly episode. What you been playing Wednesdays. And uh, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture. And we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.